One guy's a three-time Pro Bowler, the other's a three-time Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, and together, they're just two guys talking pack. This is the Coon Podcast with Jason Wildy and John Coon. It is the inaugural Coon Podcast with Packers... Can I say legend, icon? What do you like best? Whatever you want. Ex-fullback. Jason. Jason, this is a podcast. We're allowed to say whatever we want. Ooh, are you going to use potty language? No, you're a dad. You can't do that. Well, I, my wife won't listen to this, so I mean, I could probably get away with it. <laughs> that voice you hear belongs to three-time Pro Bowl fullback and one of the all-time great Packers, John Coon. Are you in the Packers Hall of Fame yet? Jason, I just retired in March. So that's a no? That's a no. That's a no. All right. Well, can I be your presenter? Well, I no, mean, don't, it, don't lie. You're, you're going to lie and say, "Well, maybe," but you're not. Well, going I, to. I mean, I'll, I'll accept applications. You know, do I have to write an essay? Because that's well, my strength. You, well, you gave a commencement speech. You gave me tips on writing a commencement speech. That's so true. I know you know how to give a speech. So I'm, I mean, you're actually high. You're out of all the applicants, you're first on my list right now. <laughs> but no one else has applied. No, nobody else has well, applied. Well, I also applied for this gig, the Coon Podcast, and I'm excited that we're finally together to do our inaugural episode what took so long well you know you, you drive a hard bargain oh my gosh it's not, me. It's not <laughs> it, me it really wasn't we've talked about this for a while and obviously you have been a cousin sub cousin subs we believe in better on wildy and tausch a number of times um and and it's been really fun. It's it's nice that you don't have to come to my house and have the dogs it is jump nice, on you. But now I don't know. We're in a. We're, this is no bigger than your closet. It's it's <laughs> cement. It's it's not very ventilated. So I hope you keep your gas to yourself. I will. You're charging phones. This is this is a heck of a way to kick off the podcast. So so I wonder. So we're in the the TMJ uh, booth in a uh, undisclosed location. Very 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 close to the stadium where you once played in. Because um, I don't know what the rules are, and if I can't say where we are, so I'm just going to say this cinder block room. But there's no like you've been to my studio at my house, like that's where Paula has forced me to put all the knickknacks. There's nothing here. There's no well, character. Next week we're going to start making this personalized. We're going to start bringing in some <laughs> family portraits and you know maybe some some artifacts with some helmets and some gloves or something. We're just gonna, I like it. You know, or maybe we'll come in here like Jackson Pollock and just throw a bunch of paint on the wall. I don't know. We're going to do something. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what Wayne Larravee, because I know he uses this cinder block room from time to time. So if you were to take, uh, you know, um, I was talking to your former head coach recently, uh, one Mike McCarthy, who has a place in Door County not far from where you have your place in Door mm-hmm. County. And he was, of course, giving you a hard time through me. Oh, I haven't seen John up here. Um, do you have... You know, I gave him the same hard time last year when he had a job and I didn't. I just said, oh, why don't I ever see you up here? And now he's got the chance to reciprocate. So he that's did, what and, and, he, and he took it. I would expect a phone call from him in the very near future. I'll take a phone call from Mike. I'd like to have a beer with Mike. Uh, I think that would be fun, yes. Um, but do you, either in, in your home home or in your uh, vacation place, do you have, like... Uh, again, you've seen my studio. It's a bunch of stuff and, th- you know, knickknacks and stuff that Paula doesn't want around the house. And then on top of that, stuff that the girls have drawn or made. Do you have any of the things? Because I don't have an NFL career. I don't have game balls. Well, I'm going to say this. Just going off of what you said, you almost answered your, your, your exact same question. Although my uh, pictures and letters that my kids have written and drawn 
they go on the fridge. They right. don't get hidden in a little closet away. Like, well, they, they haven't. Get, they you, get put on the fridge. But Jason. how old are they? They're two and four. See, so by the time they get to be eight and so nine, you're, you're going to have so much stuff. Well, you got to so, find other places. Yeah. So for what it. you're telling me is, you know, you no longer think it's cute and, and no, the stuff still goes on the fridge, but older stuff then gets demoted to other areas <laughs> of the home. Okay, okay. So, um, so do you have like? I have great. I have great memorabilia. I I have. I mean, so. A collector would love to come in and and rummage through my boxes and bins and of all the stuff I have, but I have not been able to secure a wing of the house or a closet of the house just to make it my own. So you received game balls for many performances, mm -hmm. right? You had a three touchdown game. Yep, yep. Um, Aaron Jones had a four-touchdown game, which we're going to talk Gosh, about. Gosh, right away. First show, first five <laughs> minutes of the first show. Did you notice the one, long pause? He wants to one-up me with I, Aaron Jones. I, I thought about that for a little while before I committed to saying it. Um, so you, you got uh, game balls are given to you. They, they do a nice job. They paint the panel. Yeah, they do. Tell you what job. game it is. Mm -hmm. So are there any of them, like if I walked into Casa de Kuhn, um, you won't see any. I won't see any of them. No, I'd have to. I'd have to break a. I'd have to break them out and show you. And then, but that's part of the allure. You want to go? We'll take a bottle of whiskey or, or or a case of beer into the the artifact space where it's at right now, and I'll start opening bins, and we'll be there for a while. And each one will have a great story for you. And and I, it's interesting because I I went and saw uh, Joe Witt, the former cornerbacks uh, coach and defensive passing game coordinator who left for Cleveland after the season, and he and his wife Erica had a rummage sale, so they were getting rid of a bunch of stuff out of the house, but then he had boxed up all of his memorabilia to move to Cleveland, and, and coaches get game balls too, which I didn't really realize. Yes, they do. And, and so is that, you know, you're not a, you're not a braggart-type personality. So you get that, and it's neat in the moment, and I do have a place I'm going that's going to tie into the Cowboys game here momentarily, but there... The, it means something at the time, and then you pack it away because, kind of like everything else in life, time marches on, and you've got other stuff to do. Precisely. And for years, people have asked me, "Where's your Super Bowl ring?" Uh, it's the same thing. I'm not wearing that thing out when I go grocery shopping at Pick and Save. Okay, right. I, I'm, it's just awesome in the moment. One of the gr things that I treasure to this day. Uh, but I don't ever pull it out really and look at it unless somebody else wants to look at it. Somebody else is going to have to initiate the conversation right. for me to pull these things out. But boy, they are special. I, I, we've we've got some treasures in 13 years in the NFL. I got some really cool stuff to take a look at. So where where do you keep your Super Bowl ring? I keep it in a safe in my house. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about game balls, there are also there are game balls that are commemorative, and then there are game balls that are used in the game. Yeah. And in Aaron Jones's case, with his four touchdowns, one of them he threw into the stands, mm -hmm. right to his brother. We were talking to Aaron during the week, and and he joked about the fact that he was a little surprised that he actually threw it on the mark. Yeah. So I don't think I'm super impressed by that. They might, <laughs> and he threw that thing high. He should. I mean, I would not be surprised to see a quarter or a halfback pass in the near future for the Green Bay Packers. So I asked him that exactly. I said, "Did you ruin?" Matt, is Matt LaFleur mad at you because now you know, opponents are going to know that, hey, that Aaron Jones can throw the ball. He's like, dude, you know how bad that throw is? It's a miracle that it got to my brother. Like He, he had to throw it like over like a party deck, and then his brother was in the front row. You never threw a ball into the stands? No, I never threw a ball in the stands. I gave, I, one, well, a few times I gave 
balls to people in the stands. The, right. the first ball I ever that. gave in the stands was my mom. She just happened to be at a game. So I scored a touchdown, and I knew it was just going to be a great scene. I knew if I even went near my mom yeah. during game day, it was just going to be waterworks. I just I carried the ball straight up to her, and I just... I Where just, was she sitting? She was sitting in the front row, right behind the bench. Really? And I took it up to her, and she was there with a couple of my friends and my wife, and I just knew. And the best part is, she was there with one of my old teammates from college. His name's Dan Walsh, linebacker. He's an emotional cat as well. And I'm walking up with the ball, and I'm holding out the ball <laughs> to give it to my mom. And he starts leaning in front of my mom like I'm going to give it to him. Like he's some special treasure that deserves my touchdown ball. He's reaching. He almost falls onto the field. He's reaching so hard. Across the banister for this football, and I had to pull it back for a second and say, "Well, no, this this one goes to mom." You can and have I gave the next that one, one, and I gave it to mom, and he goes, "You better score another one." <laughs> so that was no, that was a special moment. And then I saw how I saw how crazy people got, and how much that meant yeah. not just to my mom, but to the people around when I gave it to my mom. Because I don't think people around her knew it was my mom. Right. So they were high fiving her. She was a semi celebrity herself just for getting the touchdown ball. So then I, I kind of thought, wouldn't this be cool if I, from time to time, when I'm lucky enough to score a touchdown, do this? And I did that. I, I, I just try, random people. I would try and give it to. I would try and a find kid. a nice kid, uh, you know, sitting along the sideline or something that I could give the ball to. And I, I did that probably a dozen times throughout my career. And, and it's it's a special feeling to be able to do that. It really is. So I learned something in talking with Aaron Jones about that, and it was that if you hand the ball to a fan, no you problem. don't get fined. No problem. If you throw a ball, you are subject to a potential fine. And as it turns out, he did not get fined for throwing the ball to his brother, but they got him for $10,000 for waving at the defender on yeah. his way Isn't across the goal line. Isn't that something else? In a league that pretty much admits we're entertainment as much if not more than sport right a little bit of showmanship takes some pennies out of your pocket and these aren't even pennies these are big pennies this is ten thousand dollars he's getting fined for being a showman he is he is basically doing that that wave that wave is going to be used by fox espn in trailers for years to come and yet they're going to dock him for it. They should send, They should pay he part should of get his the fine. Royalty. He should right. get the royalty checks every time ESPN and, and Fox and NBC and the rest of them use it. So I asked him um, whether or not... Um whether or not he... Are you going to... Listen, this is a professional podcast. You can't go down and read your Apple Watch to yeah. break up a question. Well, it's from to Ashton, slow us who's down. producing our podcast. But you're slowing us down, man. We're well, supposed to... You want to be know professional what? This is like here. doing a thing with Tauscher. Like, every time I say a word wrong with Tauscher, he just can't let it go. He just... He, he jumps on... He seizes on it absolutely immediately. Well, I Is mean, that a thing with you guys, well, you football just, players? Well, yeah, I mean, because we get ripped every time we take the wrong first step on a, on a pass block, you know? So, yeah, so we're used to perfection. And when you got me in here in this cinder block closet and I'm looking around, you're, you're worried about charging your phone and doing everything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the down to 20%. How little low little do you allow your phone to go? Well, that's What's why it you, at right now? Well, I got this special oh, case. Oh, well, I'm not, I got this know, special case. It's never below The Packers buy that for you? Yeah, they did. Well, that's nice of them. <laughs> So, um, going back to Aaron Jones, he said that while he would have liked to have kept that money in his pocket, um, that it is a really cool picture. That was his quote. And I think that it is, and he's going to get it blown up and hang it on his wall. Oh, yeah, and and that'll be one of his uh, artifacts that he has at his house that when he's 10, 12, 13 years in the league and he starts showing people some cool stuff, that's going to be one of his cool things. Now, let me ask you a question. What is one of your artifacts? What is one of your cool things when people say, hey, 
what, what do you got that's neat? What's cool? What's cool that Jason Wildey has down here in his in his sweatshop? What well, does he got? so I, you know, I'm not a big um, I'm not a big autograph guy. Um, I I am more, and I think it's part. Well, you have a lot of books I that are autographed, books, and and, and some so of them you're are, not yeah. an autograph guy, but you have a lot of books that's that are true. autographed. Um, but you know, for me, you know. For let me use you as as an example. So I covered you for your entire Packers career. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. I was happy to do that, even though you weren't always the most cooperative guy in the locker room. Um, and and so for me, you have been to some degree. You know that was by, by I know plan. I know that, that, that was, now. That was, it was, it, I didn't know it and, then. And to quote my 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 former coach, it was by design. <laughs> Boring yeah. by design. Well, that's what we. That's how we game plan for the media. So so with you. Like, and I'm sure you've experienced this, and this is not a humble brag for you. This is just the truth. When you go uh, out and about and people run into you, it's a really big deal for them. Yeah. And, and, and you are... It's a big uh, deal for me. Well, and but you're a regular guy in general. Mm-hmm. That's just your personality. You worked your tail off to get to the point you did and to have the career you did. But for you, it's different than the interaction for those people who are just awestruck. I mean no bs about who you are whatever else it's true they're all I, I mean i don't know if they're all struck or if it's a where's waldo moment they're like i saw him i saw him i gotta do it right and, like, and, but they which talk is cool to you and which they're... is cool it's like you know what was that game that you could play on your phone i think it was like pokemon where you could chase around <laughs> and find you know the special things around town I, th- I think for them it's a little bit of that they get you know they get the pin drop and this is where i saw this is where so, i got the coon so they meet so they meet you and it's a really big deal for me having covered you for most of your nfl career you know there's a demystification there now the difference for me was when i started out and I got to interview Robin Yount, who was my childhood baseball hero. Yeah. Now, now he's been on Wildey and Tausch a couple of times. It, it, there's a little less demystified. No, or is it still, demystified? He's, he's still a really big deal to me. I'm not going to lie. But the first time I did a story on him, I was at a student paper, and I broke the cardinal rule of sports writing, and I brought my 1982 Sports Illustrated from him hitting the two home runs in Baltimore to send the Brewers to the postseason. And back then, you had to win your division. That was it. Yeah. So they won the AL East and played in the divisionals or in the in the championship series right away. And so I brought that Sports Illustrated cover with me, and I had him sign it. And he signed Why it to me. Why is that breaking a cardinal rule? Because I just did that yesterday. Well, yeah, but you're, you are definitely different. But that's, if it's a cardinal rule and I just broke it. Yeah, but you work for the team and you're a former player. I am a reporter, and it, I'm... I need to be, and I've never done that since. Like, you don't see me, hey, Aaron, can you sign this for my buddy? I, I don't do that sort of thing with anybody, and I haven't for the 25 years I've been a professional. But when I was a student at the Badger Herald talking to Robin out for the first time, I broke the rule. So the coolest piece of memorabilia you have is something that you had to break a rule. Doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that tell you you lived a little bit? I did. That's I, why it's It's probably as much the piece and the person as it is that... You you went outside your comfort zone. You actually yeah. were Jason Wildey the yeah, rebel. I was like twenty years old. Then. I was much more <laughs> rebellious. I do have one thing in my office across the way here, uh, sort of at Lambeau Field, but I don't know if I can say that or not. So maybe they'll cut it out. Um, I have a a picture that Adam Timmerman. You don't, I don't have to plug that you have an office at Lambeau Field. Mm, like, you don't think I should? But, I mean, that just you've got know, an office I, at Lambeau I, Field, I, or, you, or do you have a cubicle up there? I didn't say that. 
I didn't say that. Do you, you have an office? It. Now it sounds like you're trying. <laughs> now you're trying to this, make this, yourself sound This is going to be the greatest one episode podcast ever. Um, so I have a, a signed eight by ten from Adam Timmerman, um, who I wrote a story in 1997. That's how long I've been doing this about his relationship with his father, who had died that off season after they won the Super Bowl. Um, I wrote a similar story about T.J. Lang and his dad once upon a time, and he sent me a nice note. I don't seek out autographs, but Adam Timmerman sent me a signed photo thanking me for what I'd written about his dad. And for me, that's the kind of stuff that I do cherish because this job is just different. And you get to, if you tell, if you get to tell a story that resonates with both people and the people you write about, that's a pretty cool thing. I have, an, I have a note from, uh, in my artifact collection. It's from John Schneider. And it came- Seattle Seahawks general manager, former Packers personnel guy it came going into the 2009 season they had just drafted quinn johnson who was going to take my job and i spent the whole off season rehabbing an injury that i had in the weight room and i'll never forget it he wrote he hand wrote me a letter and stuck it in my locker before i left for the summer that year before coming back to training camp and it was and this was, I'm feeling down. I didn't practice at all. They drafted a guy to take my job. And I'm feeling a little bit down on my luck and possibly on the outside looking in. And his letter was, John, I loved what you did this offseason. You really made strides to be a leader in the running back room. And I think you're on the verge of doing really great things in your career. Wow. And I kept that letter, and I still have that letter today. And he was and then, right. You put him right. And the other letter that I have is uh, the first letter from the Steelers the first time they cut me saying, I did not fulfill my obligation, my contractual <laughs> obligations. And the box that was checked was, I did not meet the, the requirements that it takes to be a professional athlete. They were wrong about that one. <laughs> one was right. One was wrong. Um, so it's interesting that you said that about being a leader and things that mean something because Lucas Patrick during the week talked about. Um, what Aaron Rodgers had done during the offseason, kind of a similar timing to when John Schneider would have left you that note, that you know he saw during training camp that Lucas was down and not practicing very well and clearly had a confidence issue. Lucas Patrick had a play in Dallas, and he ended up with two snaps that ended up in Aaron Jones's hands, not by design. But Lucas Patrick talks about what it meant that Aaron Rodgers did that for him. You probably took that role with some running backs later in your career as well. Have you been on both sides of that equation? Yeah, I, I have. I can remember younger in my career and, and then especially older in my career. You can tell when you're in a situation that you have taken the lumps on and you know how difficult it can be to motivate yourself and drive yourself to do something. So instead of wasting the time for this young player to figure it out on his own, and, and maybe that learning curve is short, maybe it's long, whatever, the power of the words of somebody that, that they see as a guy who's been there, done that, those words are, are like an adrenaline shot. It can it can yeah. just cure all kinds of sorry feelings that they might have, and it may be just a chance for them to regroup, uh, refocus, and and really just get a charge of energy in them for how they work. I, you, and and you saw that with Lucas Patrick, and the way it was it was it was almost magical with him going into that fourth week of the preseason, and then into the regular season, you almost just kind of saw his confidence just completely change, and he started playing really good ball this year. Well, speaking of playing really good ball, uh, I want to talk a little more about the Cowboys game and then look ahead to Monday night's game between the Packers and the Lions. Um, Aaron Jones, four touchdowns, 
182 total yards from scrimmage between his catches and his carries, um, and doing it with you know Trey Carson tri- chipping in a little bit. But he really did carry the load for an offense that didn't have Devontae Adams and only had four receptions from the from the wide receivers. What did you think of the performance Aaron Jones put Well, together? I think he said it right there, and I think Matt LaFleur did a great job of recognizing on his offense he probably has two uber-dynamic uh, players at the skill positions, and that's Devontae Adams and that's Aaron Jones. I, obviously, I'm not counting Aaron Rodgers, but I'm right. counting those skill two position guys. guys. And without Devontae Adams, he, you, you have to rely heavily on the one horse that you still have left, and he did a great job of facilitating him into the game in a way that the Dallas Cowboys were not ready for. If you watched the Monday or the Sunday night game where the Cowboys played the Saints, Sean Payton did a great job of getting Alvin Kamara available in the screen game. And it just, you just had that feeling early on. They threw that early screen pass right. to Aaron Jones. And I, you just saw, oh, they're taking bits and pieces of some things that they saw on how to get Aaron involved early without just relying on the outside zone. That goes straight into their first touchdown drive, that 18 yard run. That was a quick hitter downhill inside zone run it allowed the lineman to get up to the second level quick and aaron jones ran right past everybody they were not ready for that speed they were not ready for him to hit the hill or hit the run downhill the way that he did so you have watched him um you you were obviously still playing in new orleans so you weren't here for the early parts of his career but you you've watched him now throughout training camp you watched him last season when when he was in year two what do you see in him as a player, and how does he compare to some of the um, more well-known running backs that probably get more ink and attention? Yeah, I believe if he stays on this pace, he's going to get plenty of ink and, and ink and attention. I, what he does is he bursts through the hole. He doesn't he doesn't run through the hole. He bursts through the hole where guys think they might have an angle to be able to lean in off the block and hit him and bring him down. They're a split second late, and he just runs right through their arm tackles and skirts downhill. I know Matt LaFleur loves him as an outside zone runner, but I cannot help but think this guy can run every run that's in the game plan, every run that's in the book, whether it's pattern schemes, gap schemes, inside zones, outside zones. It does, I, I, I am confident this guy can do just about anything you ask him to do and do it at an extremely high level. I would continue to find ways to use him in diversified roles and not just make him an outside zone runner. So the the question with him is he's had some knee issues his first two years. He's not the biggest guy, even though he seems to do a pretty good job of not taking too many direct crushing hits. So how now that it looks like Jamal Williams, has he's cleared the concussion protocol. He should be available for the Lions game. How do you sprinkle J- Jamal Williams in to kind of keep all those explosive plays that Aaron Jones can give you in the chamber, but also not have him on the field quite as much? Well, I think... He, I, he, you said you pretty much answered it right there. You just do that. You don't you don't need to adapt your offense to Jamal Williams just because he's in the game. You just let the offense be the offense and if Jamal is spelling Aaron because you deem necessary because let it call it a pitch count, call it whatever you want. Right. But if you just see the need for Aaron to have a few plays off, you just put Jamal in, but you let the offense be the offense. Because these guys are going to be able to run their stuff, they're going to be able to run the offense. Now Aaron Jones is going to have specifically a few plays, and off of that, you can do the same with Jamal, that you're going to catch the defense off guard, you schemed him for that, and you want that guy running that specific route or that specific run. But I'm still giving Aaron Jones the majority 
of the touches. That's who I want to touch the ball, especially with Devontae Adams probably being out again on Monday night. So um, one more thing about the Cowboys game, and then we'll look a little more forward to the Monday night game. Um, one of the things that people say to me when I'm on our other shows is, well, you know, you know Aaron Rodgers as well as anyone, which is kind of them to say, but I don't know him as well as you. You guys are good friends. You've been friends for a long time. You were teammates. You spent all that time in the locker room together. You give each other grief nonstop. Um, I'm wondering, he made the comment after the Cowboys game that he thought that was his best game of the season. Dude had 400 yards passing the previous week against Philadelphia. What, you know, put on your friend and analyst hat and explain to us why that was Aaron Rodgers' best game. He had zero touchdowns, and his passer rating was 85 in the game. Well, if you see the the, the plays that he did make, they were masterful. It was getting out of the pocket, protecting the football, and making big plays when big plays were necessary. They got the they they got yards in chunks when they got them. Now they they still struggled on third down. That's been right. a theme for the whole season, but they got yards in chunks. And the majority of the reason why they got those yards in chunks with a spread around cast of of receivers. I mean, the, the, you said it. The wideouts had four catches. He still had nine different guys catch a football in that game. So he spread the ball around. He took what was available from the defense, and he allowed the run game to really carry it. Now, some people call that game managing, and right. I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, I think Aaron even used the word manage in his interview after the game. But there's nothing wrong with that. When you're going on the road facing a big opponent, you have to win the game, and sometimes it takes a flawless performance. And Aaron Rodgers, even though his rating wasn't high, he had a flawless performance. So when you look at him, and he's already naturally not a turnover guy, right? He very rarely throws interceptions to begin with. You take that, you take his ability to make a handful of plays, usually he has to make more. But there are going to be games where he can play like that, and it is sufficient. It sure is nice, though, to have a guy that if you do need him to carry you, he can certainly do that as well. Yeah, and he did that in the Philly game. I mean, he carried us in the Philly game, but we came away with a loss. Now, let me ask you, Jason, as you watch, put on your coaching hat. If you had a defense that was turning the ball over the way that they are and creating short fields for you and you have a punter, you have a kicker kicking the way that they are right now, and you have an offense doing the things that it's doing at times, how would you coach Aaron to perform on Sundays? Would you ask him to do more just out of the sake of doing more? The only thing I would say about him is that if he was one of the quarterbacks that, and I'm not going to compare him to Favre because Favre obviously threw an infinite number of interceptions compared to him, along with all the amazing plays Favre would make. But he's he's so interception-averse already that maybe I would be a little more, little more willing to have him take a, a chance or two more than I would have with any other quarterback when my team is playing. This but way. even knowing that you have no idea what the analytics say about sure. that, what would come from that? I mean, you're winning right now. You're four and one with a pretty decent resume of of opponents that you face so yeah, far. Yeah, for sure. You'd want to. St- steer away from what has been working well, as let me, a team? All right, so now we're going to play back-and-forth question time because here's my question about for you about their defense because they have been fantastic at sacking the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback, and taking the ball away. Yes. The one game in which they didn't have a sack and didn't have a takeaway, they lost. Yeah. So they obviously have feasted on that. Is that something that you played on teams that had defenses that, you know, those Dom defenses that had 40 or yeah. more takeaways in an, in a season were remarkable. Can this defense keep that up? Well, I don't think 
that's the right question. I think the right question is, is that this defense identity? Oh, okay. Because if it is the identity, then you play to that card and you, and you play your hand out as strong as you can. And you say, we're going to get interceptions, we're going to get turnovers, and we're going to create this because these turnovers and these sacks, they don't just happen by luck. These are these are guys doing this. They might happen by luck in one game, but once you have five games, that's a that's a total body of work right there. So these guys are creating their own situations. They are creating their own circumstances in which they are. How many times do you see a wide receiver tip a ball and nobody intercepted? Right. Well, that happened this last game. Right. We tipped balls happen. They don't always get intercepted. Well, they got intercepted in this game. These guys are making this happen. I believe this is the identity of the team, and I believe this is how you continue to win is you create turnovers, you create pressure on the opposing offenses, and you manage it with the offense and take the big plays when you have them game plan specific. And they game planned really – I thought – this past game was the best game plan that Matt LaFleur came in with and the best play calling from game start to game end that he had all year. And I thought, I mean, even with letting up 500 yards, I thought the game plan and the changes and the adjustments that Mike Pettin made were critical, critical. I thought they both called a fantastic game. So since this is the inaugural Kuhn podcast, um, going forward, we will, once we have our regular schedule, we will have a hashtag that we will put on Twitter, and we will get fan questions to include, and that way, and we'll go a little longer too. So, before we wrap up, let's look ahead to Monday night and Detroit. What do you see from this Detroit team? I think we're still at a point in the season where we have a pretty good idea what the Packers are, but you look at the Lions, and they gave the Chiefs everything they could handle. They should have won against the lowly Arizona Cardinals and kind of fell apart. What's what's the vibe and what's the what's the feeling you get from this team? Well, I love that you're just running this as an interview. I'd love for you to tell me what you think at some point. It's in time the Coon podcast. It's I'm, not the Wildy podcast. I know podcast. it is, but we can banter back and forth. We bantered. There was lots of banter. I wanted you, I wanted you to come in and say that you thought the Packers were easily going to win this game against the Lions. The Packers are easily going to win this game against the Lions. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Not so fast. <laughs> my friend. Um, no, when I watched the Lions, I thought they played one bad half of football, and that was against the Arizona Cardinals yeah. early on in the season. They allowed that lead that they had to slip away, and they fell uh, short with a tie. They had a tie. I mean, first game of the season, and they get a tie against the Arizona Cardinals. I know they're regretting that right now. However, they did play the Chiefs pretty tough, and if not for their own turnovers, they would have beat the Chiefs. They created a lot of right. turnovers themselves, but they had a fumble on the one-yard line yep. that that was a 14-point swing in that game that ultimately they ended up losing darn near at the buzzer with the with a two-minute drive by Patrick right. Mahomes, who he, scr- he scrambled on fourth and eight to get the first down. The, the Lions are a team that are playing, when you watch their film, they are actually playing pretty solid football, and then you look at their stats and you're like, hmm, well, that doesn't make sense. They're the 29th-ranked pass defense in the league. Their, their pass defense ranks lower than the Eagles, which we threw for 450 yards against. Right. I, I think the Packers got a good matchup with getting these guys at home on a Monday night early in the season because this game could really mean a lot down the stretch. They could be 3-0 and in the division, which puts them in a good spot with wins over their three teams that they'll face. They'll have obviously one more matchup with each of them, with the Bears here the uh, Vikings in Minneapolis, and then Detroit in Detroit. Now, I will say, I, I was very surprised. It, you know, I said about how great of a game plan and play calling Matt LaFleur had last game. I thought Jason Garrett was, and Kellen Moore 
couldn't have been any worse. Really? Well, the the Packers had just allowed three straight games of oh. well over a hundred yard rushing. Right. Their first two runs to Ezekiel Elliott go for 25 yards, and they basically abandoned it. Maybe that was because they were down 14 nothing. But part of the reason they were down 14 nothing is because they were throwing the ball around right. the field. And and is I that not, hard for coaches though? Like you, you know, I know how linemen want to run have, block. You want to, you as a runner and the guys in your room want to run the ball, even if you're down fourteen nothing. I just, I just, I just think they outthink themselves. Yeah. They just out, they outthought themselves in there in that situation. Now, granted, they did have it schemed up for big plays. I mean, if Dak puts that first ball to Amari Cooper on the money, that could have been a touchdown instead of a turnover. Right. And it's a whole different ball game. They probably go back Huge to running play. the ball. Now, with that said. He didn't have to do that. They, they they started the game with a three and out on the Packers. They could have just ran the ball. I would suspect Matt Patricia being from that coaching tree of you-know-who. Right. He's going to come in here and he's going to say, well, they got Aaron Jones. Guess who we're taking away? Aaron. They're going to try and take away Aaron Jones. And what are we going to do? We're going to run the football. I would not be surprised if they come out and just run the football you know, consistently to start this game, whether it works or not. Because on Johnson is borderline top 10 running back in the NFL, and this Lions run game is not too shabby. Right. Well, we will see on Monday night, and we will see you back here for – we're going to do a second one, right? We're not going to be like a one-hit wonder. Unless we, we get cut off. No, we'll do it again. This has been the Coon Podcast, not the Wildy Podcast, the Coon Podcast. I hope you'll join us again for the next one.